Hey, everybody. We're talking to Brian Miles today. What an amazing guy. He's a major league mental performance coach for the Cleveland Guardians. He has some incredible stories on how to make the best even better. And he's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in The Last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, we have an amazing, great guest today. He's a former college soccer player, certified mental performance coach. He's got almost a decade of experience working with the Cleveland Guardians. Welcome to the show, Brian. Dallas, man, you know, a lot of people tell me that I have a lot of energy, but I'm digging the little competition right here and maybe trying to match your energy. I tell you, it's, I, uh, I love it though, man. That the intro and everything really, it gets you going. It makes you want to get, yes. get going, right? We like to, we like to get going on the last 10%. We're excited, it. man. And we love getting better and we love learning from the best and you are one of the best and we're excited to learn from you today. So tell us a little bit cuz I'm just jazzed cuz this is I'm peanut butter and jelly conversation for me. We tell us about what it's like a day in the life of a mental performance coach for a major league baseball team. What does that even look like? I I mean I so I want again, I appreciate the enthusiasm and I I do realize that there's probably a world of people out there that maybe don't understand the world of mental performance and don't recognize just what goes into it or what it entails. And I will say in in professional baseball, we've really adopted and embraced the mental game. Probably the professional sport that has had it the longest and more importantly, had it integrated the longest. When I say integrated, I mean like you're a member of the organization. You're not just a member of the organization, but you're a member of the team. You're traveling with the team, full 162 game schedule, you're in the dugout, you're, you have a locker, you have an office, you're, you're just part of the staff. And I think that embedded model, the integrated model is the way forward in mental performance. Coaches are there all the time. Strength coaches are there all the time. Athletic trainers are there all the time. Dietitians are there all the time. Mental performance is there all the time now too. And so, um, You know, a day in the life is, uh, I mean, I can give you the rundown. I'm here in Chicago right now. So we're playing the White Sox and <laughs> staying in a hotel out here. And you get, it's cool. You play a lot of night games in the summer. So you get the morning to yourself a little bit, try to catch up on some work, do some administrative stuff. If you're anything like me, I have my Garmin watch on. I like to try to get my ten to 15,000 steps a day. So I'll usually, whatever city we're in, I'll find a coffee shop that's maybe half a mile away. Oh, Obviously, try to find answer. a 4.5 five star coffee shop and uh, yeah. make put my headphones on, <laughs> listen to some music, and make my venture out there, grab some good coffee, and then get ready for the day. Come back, work out, do whatever you got to do, and then when we head over to the field, again, it's each day is 
while it's very organized and structured, I think from the mental side or the role, it can be a little bit different. I think there's days that are high traffic, there's days that are low traffic, but the one constant I think for most mental performance coaches in professional sports is that you're constantly maintaining and fostering relationships. And what that looks like is mm. really dependent on the individual. But when we talk about the world of mental performance, yes, there's mental performance skills, right? There's the tangible attention control skills. There's the tangible imagery, visualization skills. There's like the tangible things that we talk about with competence and confidence and conviction. What it really comes down to is the soft skills. Are you somebody that when a professional athlete is struggling or they're hurting or they're unsure, do you have the relationship with them that will make it where they will come to you or if you approach them, they want to engage? And I think when you have mm -hmm. that viewpoint each day, it could be really helpful kind of like framework of I am going to continue to connect. I'm going to continue to show these individuals I am here for them. And that takes time. It takes deliberate effort. It takes you being a constant each day and not being too high, not being too low. It takes you to know when to say something and more importantly, when to say nothing. Sometimes silence is the best thing. Saying nothing can be better than saying something. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's a bit of my day. I'm eating with the guys and the coaching staff. I'm out there for batting practice and shagging BP. Again, we eat a lot, so you're eating again. And then when the game starts, yeah. you're, I'm in the dugout for the game. So I get to get to be with the players, I think, in their space, which is really helpful. A lot of times they're most comfortable being able to engage in, in that comfort of the dugout because that is their space where they work. And I think there's guys that don't play who are willing to engage with you. And Sometimes there's guys that are playing that are willing to engage as well. And you get to watch, you get to observe being diligent about what you're seeing. So that's a little bit of the mix of it. Like I said, it's, there's some structure to each day, but there's also, you just really never know what's going to happen. But I think that part's actually the most fun is each day is slightly different in a really unique way. And man, there's just, there's nothing better than leaning into that. Man, I love that. I love, first of all, I love how you start your day with that cup of coffee, right? And But I love the routine that you have because you say, hey, look, I want to get in my 10 to 15, you know, thousand steps a day. So it's cool because you just built a routine with this reward at the end of it. Instead of saying, okay, I got to get up and I got to go run a mile and I ain't running a mile and like whatever. It's no, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. I'm just going to do it at the one that's about three coffee shops down that I'm going to walk to that's half a mile away. It's got that five-star mocha chocolate, <laughs> whatever my favorite thing is, right? But I get my 10,000 in. I love how you were so intentional about that. When you go into the locker room or when you're in, when you're in a game, are you coaching or are you facilitating these conversations around that mental game in the moment? Or is it like something where you're like saying what you did, you're observing it and then you're debriefing, kind of like watching tape afterwards saying, hey, I noticed when you stepped up and did this, you, it looked like you were not paying attention, not focused. What, which one, how does that work? I think it can be a little dependent. Again, it's, I think some of the best mental performance coaches that I've been around, they really are incredibly socially intelligent and emotionally intelligent individuals. They can read the individuals because they have a relationship with them and they sort of are able to read the room pretty well. So I think there's there's standing work that's going on with certain players where you're engaged with the player and you have some things that you're continuously working on. So maybe you're checking in with them 
for some guys, you know, I've actually wondered this. I don't know if this is just a baseball thing, but anytime you're around a guy, you sit down or whatever, they always hit you with the, what do you got, B-Miles? They'll always hit you with just, what do you got? <laughs> it's like, I got to have some some like two sentence motivational. I'm like, that's, a, I like sometimes say that back to him. I'm like, what do you want me to say, man? Do you want me to, you want me to motivate you right now? Come on. I'm not a motivational coach. That's not what we do. But they always hit you with, what do you got? So it's funny when they say that, sometimes I just, I just tell them, oh, hey, I read this morning. Or some of my best friends are mental performance coaches. I'll be like, oh, I read this tweet this morning that my buddy put out or he put it out on threads or LinkedIn or whatever it is. And sometimes that starts the conversation. Yeah. But I think, again, it's, there, there certainly is in the moment coaching. There certainly is that, I would say that's a little bit less prevalent during the game, just because I, I have a massive respect for what these players are going through, the difficulty of the game of baseball. And I think that letting them do their thing on the field, which is their workspace, is so important. Now, if a player approaches me about something or it's just like, like, I can't get out of my own way or, hey, I'm struggling, whatever. Yeah, I might have 30 to 45 seconds before they got to go back out to play defense or whatever to say something. And during that time, this is it's not about the quick fix. I can't say something immediately to like fix anything. That's not I'm not a fixer. Like my job is to help facilitate work with them. But I do think that I can oftentimes help them try to get back to baseline. That's oftentimes my goal hmm. is like, hey, like, how can we get them back to like equilibrium where they have the best opportunity to hopefully be successful? And sometimes hmm. that's being a little bit assertive and aggressive with them. Sometimes it's loosening the mood up a little bit to watch them smile or, or poke a joke to see them. And again, that's reading the person. That's reading the equity and time that I've put in of eight plus years to build relationships with these people, that that equity plays out in that time frame, And I think that I have to make a decision in the moment of what I do. And have I made some wrong decisions? For sure. And have I said the wrong thing? And have I gone home that night and been like, oh my God, I shouldn't have said that. And then <laughs> go the next day and find that player and be like, hey man, my bad. That probably wasn't the right time frame to say that. But yeah, I have. I make tons of mistakes all the time. And sure. I think you got to own them. You got to reflect. You got to try to make an adjustment. But it's it's a very fluid, mentally agile world, I think, in professional sports and in mm. baseball. Plus it's every day, 162 games in 180 days every day oh that's amazing so you can't just you can't like if you're living and dying by last night's results it's going to be an exhausting exhausting eight months yeah i don't even i can't even wrap my head around that that's a grueling schedule not to mention the stress of the actual games mm -hmm. just the travel and the hotels and the just living on the road that's tough that's tough now the whole thing you started with was how you as a mental performance coach it's it is funny because the guys are like and what you got for me, B-Miles, I love that, by the way. That's so fun. But if you're a performance expert. I think when people hear that, it's like, ooh, he's got the secret keys that he's going to, you know, the magic mental pixie dust, and he's going to sprinkle it on me, and I'm going to start flying mentally, right? But the funny thing is that you started the whole conversation with, what I do is build connection with people. And that was like, you're out the gate, go to, I am here to build and grow connections, grow trust. It is equity, relational equity. You've made a comment on that. I think that's fascinating. That is the kind of the main thing that you're doing first. Mm -hmm. And then it's through these conversations that you're able to feed. So I think that's, I think that for if anyone is in an organization and you're trying to lead and develop, I think that's the thing that resonates with me in business as well. If you're trying to develop your people and you're not building connection with them as well, how far is that actually going to go? 
How much can you really develop a person if you don't know them? You're talking about knowing nuances of their attitude, whether or not to poke them, make a joke, or just come at them hard. I mean, you can't do that unless you know somebody. So spending time with them, building a connection, I think that's fantastic. Do, do most players that you meet welcome you in terms of what your role is and they know you're there to help them get better? Is there people that push back on this whole idea of mental coaching, even at that level? I would have to say it's probably organization to organization and how the organization mm. sets up the structure of mental performance, how they address mental performance. I think the coaching staff has a lot to do with it, how the team's manager integrates that mental performance coach, how that manager or coaching staff talk about mental performance. I do not... I do not recognize for one second how lucky I am to work for the organization I do where mental performance has been a mm -hmm. staple for honestly mm -hmm. almost 30 years. And and since it's been integrated for such a long time, especially in the minor leagues, right? So if you have a minor league system that is set up where mental performance is just what happens and everyone's tracking and everyone knows it, then it's no different. Oh yeah, I got promoted to the big leagues. Oh, B Miles is here. Cool. That's yeah, it's just like what we do here in Cleveland. And I Yeah. So yeah, I, it's what we do. I am I am always like so happy. But again, it's I think one of the biggest things about mental performance too, and this is probably more directed towards the field of mental performance, is that it's not about me. And it never, mm. ever will be. So if you're a wannabe future mental performance coach and you want it to be about you, you want to be the guy who gets your name or girl in the papers who are like they helped this player, they fixed it. It's just, that's not what it is. You will never, ever get credit, nor should you, because there's so many variables that go mm -hmm. into baseball. And it's like, I enjoy being a part of a performance team. Like that, that is like really powerful to me is that I am part of a group. I'm part of a group of strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers and sports medicine, sports science, nutrition, and mental performance. And it's like, you put all of us together and our number one goal is to prepare this professional athlete to be the best version of themselves. And we don't care who, there's no credit to be taken because we're all work. And that's the cool part. We all work together, right? Because there's mental performance slivers into dealing with a, an injury or mental performance slivers into mm -hmm. making an adjustment in our diet or lifting heavy things yes. or whatever it might be. And so I just, again, we're a group that tries to move the needle and tries to push us a little bit further down the field. And I think when you look at it like that, it's just, it's fun to come into work every day because collectively as a group, you're trying to make this group of individuals more badass every single day. <laughs> I love that. Oh man, that I'm excited. I'm excited about it already. I think I'm going to apply for some organization. That's amazing. I love that. So exciting. I love your passion for that. Tell us a little bit how you got, how do you go from soccer player in college to major league mental performance coach? That's a amazing transition right there. I think it would be, some people might say most mental performance coaches or people that go into sports psychology are failed athletes. So, you know, it was a <laughs> division three soccer player. I, uh, you know, I usually, it's funny. I usually send, I have, uh, I, I played soccer at a, a small division three school in New Jersey, Montclair State University. And I, I, I still have a little group chat, like a WhatsApp chat with, with like my college roommates, all the soccer guys. So I actually, all, nice. I'll always send them the podcast that I do. So I always give the shout out to college and my buddies and stuff, but it's, I think they would probably tell you in the group chat that 
perhaps during college, I was not the most mentally tough person. If I made a mistake, I would oftentimes look over at my coach. Oh, am I going to get taken out? I was that kid. The like mm. the struggle to get past failures and adversities in sport, tried to be a high achiever. And again, like I played a lot and it was, I look back, I was probably like pretty good for the role that, that we played in, but it, man, it was just, it was constantly trying to appease a coaching staff or appease those around you. And it was, it's, it was a hard way mm. to live. I was the guy that lived on the highs and lived on the lows. And, um, mm. I think, like most people in undergrad, you get a you get a bachelor's degree in psychology and realize you can't do anything in the real world with a bachelor's degree in psychology. So <laughs> you're like, oh, I'll go to grad school. And so I I had an academic advisor who had gone to a master's program in athletic counseling at Springfield College in Massachusetts. So she recommended that. I ended up checking it out, getting accepted into that program and got to really explore the world of counseling, specifically counseling athletes, mm. recognizing sort of some of the aspects of what it's like to be an athlete specifically like with our identity, which I think a lot of people can probably relate to this. And it's, it doesn't have to just be with athletics, but there are people that truly, when they play a sport, that is how they identify themselves. Yes. I am Brian Miles, the soccer player. I'm, <laughs> there's obviously a lot more to Brian Miles than the soccer player, right? And yes. Yes. I, I, we get so attached to that, that either when soccer is over or we get injured and it's taken away from us, we really struggle to work mm. through what that process is. And this this plays out across just, this isn't just a performance thing. This is like a human being thing, right? So what you'll yes. hear me say a lot of times to our players is like, hey, baseball is what you do. It's not who you are. It's and awesome. I think that for work, that's a very real thing. But I also want to say this too. I'm, I'm a parent. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. But I think that for parents too, it's like my, my wife is absolutely incredible. She's a stay-at-home mom with, my, with our kids. She's amazing. But while being a mom is a huge part of her life or of your life, that's like just not who you are, right? You have so, there's so much more that we have as humans. And, and it's like, you can get very fixated on that one thing. And that identity becomes a huge part of either the highs or the lows, like I said. And so that athletic counseling program helped me understand that a ton. I've heard a report. Think about this. No, I love your honesty and transparency with that. And I think that it's true across the board, even beyond athletes. I read a study one time that for, it was done for males. They said, this, particularly for males, they said that the study said that it was harder for males. I think it was done by Harvard. I'm not sure. I can't remember, but they said it was harder for males to get over the loss of a job or career, like if they got laid off or fired, then it it took them longer than it did to get over the death of a spouse. Wow. When you think about that, it's almost shocking. I almost read that and was like, I don't know. But then, but when you overlay that with what you just said, when our identity mm -hmm. is rolled up in that, whether it's a team, an athletic sport, or a career, and then all of a sudden that's just taken away. The reason that they were saying that was that there's finality in the death of that spouse, yep. but this, it just, the loss of a career or a job, it just, there's no, even though that job's ended, you're still trying to navigate the next one, or am I not that? Am I this? Did I fail at that? Uh, they said it, 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 it was five years for a lot of males to get over that. And I think it, it would have been awesome if they could do what you just said and go back to that study and look and see if they were more successful at getting over it, if they had your mindset, baseball is what you do, not who you are. Whatever this job is, what you do, it's not who you are. I think if they could go back to that study, I would love to see the results 
on people that have that mindset. It's, it's, it's again, it's not bad. It's, I don't want to say it like that, but it's, I think people can be tough on themselves. It's you're invested in it, right? You're obviously invested in mm. it, but there's just, there's your, you invest your time in it, which is like obviously a valuable currency. And I think that when we invest mm. that valuable currency in things so much, right? Whether that's your mm. sport that you invest a ton of time in or your school or your work or whatever it is, we feel this like powerful urge to, it has to be perfect. I have to see it out. I yeah. have to fill in the blank. I have to. When you have to do something, there is major tension there. I have to get a hit. I have to reach this sales quota. I have that creates tension. Like it does feel it. You could feel it in your body. I have to get a hit. Imagine being up there saying, I have, I have to make this penalty kick. The tension coursing mm. through your body. Now there's a big difference mm. between saying I have to and I get to. I get to be oh. up in the bottom of the ninth. I get to take this penalty kick. I get to go after that moonshot sales goal. I, I, I get to take this tough test to try to whatever, get an A in this class. Like that, that's, there's way different perspective there than, oh yeah, I do get to do this. What a, that's a badass opportunity. I do get to do this. Sweet. Like this challenge, let's go. I'm t- versus I have to, I, I have to uh. get an A. I have to pass. It's, you can feel it. And it's, I'm sorry, but that's, oh, yeah. think of, again, I, I, a lot of times I'll go back to being a parent, but it's like, how do you talk to your kids? Mm. How, you have mm. to do this. You have to, you, like, mm. no, they, they, like, Hey, we get to do this as a family or, Hey, let's go. We we get to go clean this up or we get to, it's a shift in language because that shift in language will directly impact the physiology of those you're saying it to or the physiology of yourself. I mean, it just like, when you said that, it's just like, you could just feel, it's just like melts like butter, Mm -hmm. man. It is amazing. It's amazing just to take that in. I love that have to versus get to always said, because as an entrepreneur, you're it's you're always facing some challenge, right? There's always some crisis going on somewhere and some things you take risk and sometimes they don't work out. Mm -hmm. That's when you just feel that remorse when something doesn't. But if you do that and you can go, you go into it with what you just said, you've already experienced the opportunity in the process, right? I get to do this. It's not like it's gone and lost. It's I got to do that then instead of I have to make this work. It's just a gift. It is. It is. Man, I'm telling you, like the, you know, again, I, I, I'm sorry. I just, I keep coming back to my kids because they're young. It's like they're, they're exhausting. Let's just not pretend. Two and a a four year old are exhausting, right? You're in the middle of the trenches, man. We're in the thick of it right now. We're in the thick of it. And I think there's like those times where you know, my whatever. I get home from a game. It's like late at night. It's like 11:30 at night. You get home. And then my son wakes up at 5.30, right? And it's like, when mm-hmm. I'm home, I try to wake up in the morning with the kids because my wife does it all by herself when I'm on the road. So I try to like give her a little bit of break. Yeah. And there's those moments where you're sitting downstairs and you're just, I'm with my two-year-old and he's just, he's curled up next to you, whatever, we're watching Elmo. And it's your first thought is, I have to get up, I have to get him, I have to. And then it's, I have those moments, I swear, Dallas, I'm all the time where I'm just like, I like... I get to do this and God knows I'm going to miss mm. this at some point too. I get to do this. Mm. And it's like those days yes. where you're just out and the kids are just being so bad or they're screaming in the car. <laughs> and it's, I think there's like a country song where it's, you're going to miss this at some point. And it's, yeah. and it's have those, I'm like, I get to do this. I get, and I think that's, I really do think that's a, that shift in perspective is it makes a big difference for a lot of people when you can start to see the world that way. It also, it shifts a lot of the things that you were going, it shifts how you view challenges because they are challenges. But what, when you start to do the get to, 
it changes them from threats to challenges. It changes them from threats yeah. to opportunities. And threat is a real yeah. word because our brain perceives things a lot of times as threatening, not physically harming, but like our brain sometimes can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And so it views mm. it, uh, the threat of failing a test as almost like physical harm. So our body reacts the same way, which is why our heart rate picks mm. up and get a pit in your stomach and all those things. And so anyway, I just, I think it's sure. a huge aspect of, of performance and just life in general. I think there's, there's so much wisdom in what you just said. And I think that it's interesting too, because you're very open and vulnerable about your own, how you have to deal with that as well. It's not like you're this mental performance coach and then it's, I've got the answers and therefore my life is perfect. And I just approach every situation perfectly. You go home and your kids gets up in the middle of the night and you're having to take care of this, or they have a, a dirty diaper and, or they get sick and they're throwing out and you're like, oh my gosh. And I've been there. I've got three daughters. I know where you are. But then it's, it's so interesting because what you did was it's like you're moving into that moment and reminding yourself. I think people sometimes think, oh, he's saying we need to think like this. It's a, a switch you just turn on or off. You either see it this way or not. No, it's, this is a principle we believe in that we have to continually remind ourselves in every moment. It's almost like we're taking each moment prisoner and we're going to apply these principles that we believe are true into that moment because it's so easy to get distracted uh, and, and overwhelmed. I think that's, but it's cool that you would say that because I think people respect that as a mental performance coach, you're going home and you got the same, you got to deal with the same mental coaching yourself as everybody else. I will say, I think the shift there, I, this is just my opinion. I believe there is a shift mm -hmm. coming in mental performance because I think the way that it was viewed in years past, however long ago, was that mental performance came from a deficit model, right? So it was like a, hey, this player's in a slump, go talk to the mental performance coach. Hey, you're struggling with your sales call, go mm. talk to the performance coach. Hey, you're, you can't throw strikes, go talk to the performance coach. It was always coming from a deficit. Hey, you're not doing well. You're underperforming, you're underachieving, go talk to this person. And in reality, mental performance is no longer, in my opinion, at least the way that we believe in it and see it and run it, is like, it is not a deficit model, it's from an understanding model. And so when I say understanding mm. model, I say that there is a brain-body connection. There is a brain-biology connection. When we start to understand the systems and processes of our physiology, of our standard biology, and of our physiology, which we are far more in tune to than we are our thoughts, like, which is why I love when you're like, oh, change your thing. It's, it's not like that. It's a, mm -hmm. I understand when something is happening to me, I feel it in my body first. I feel the pit in my mm. stomach. I feel the heat coursing mm. through my body. I see my hands starting to shake. I feel all of those mm. things happening. Okay, that is a indicator, a cue to me that something is happening. And when I finally understand that it's my brain, my brain is driving those systems and processes. My brain is driving that physiology. My brain is turning on that biological sense to do something. Once I know why those things are happening, one, it's no longer scary, right? I understand it. Mm. I understand that the majority of things that happen to us for the specific reason of survival or of for us to kick butt, that's literally like mm -hmm. the two main reasons that those things happen. And once you understand <laughs> it, it's, it's almost like you can welcome it. There's a sense of freedom because you know what's happening. You know what's going on. That's the world of high performance. It's not telling someone to think a certain way. It's helping them understand the natural process of their brain and body. And then they get to choose what they do with it. They make the choice uh, because they're finally informed. 
That's the most important yes. part. It's when you're uninformed that you don't make the yeah, choice. Yeah, because it's scary. You, you just, don't know what's you happening. Yeah, you don't know what's happening. Yes. It's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you know something is happening, you don't realize and how to, and even know how to process that and how to work through that. Oh, that's really good stuff. It's Oh, well, man. Yeah. It, I, I will just say this. I think one of the most powerful things that human beings don't understand is like our nerves, right? Like we feel nervous about stuff. And the... Mm the natural societal view of nerves is what? That you're not prepared, right? Hey, I have butterflies. Mm. I must not be ready. Hey, my hands are shaking before I'm going to go give this speech to all these people. Oh my gosh, did you practice enough? Are you prepared? Are you ready to go? Again, let's, so we can even name them all off, right? So like the feeling like you have to go to the bathroom, right? I have to like pee, poop, or puke before I'm going to do something important. I get butterflies. My hands are shaking. I get sweaty. I get cotton mouth. My face turns red, right? Those are all societal views of nerves. And if you ask any sure. normal person, hey, why do you feel that way? They're going to be like, means you're not prepared. It means you're not ready, right? That, that, that's what everyone thinks. The real reason why all that stuff happens is because anytime we're going to do something important, anytime. So whether you're going to go hit in the bottom of the ninth inning, you're going to go on a, an important sales call, you're going to go give a speech to a group of people, you're going to go ask your fiance, somebody to go marry you, you're going to ask somebody out on a date, you're going to take a big test, whatever it is, right? Your brain immediately says, okay, we are going to do something important. We need to mobilize resources. That's immediately what happens. So when your brain says it's time to mobilize resources, it sets off a chain reaction inside of your body. And the first thing it does mm. is says, hey, what takes up a lot of energy in our body? And your brain's like, oh, I know what takes up a ton of energy, digestion. So the digestive system <laughs> takes up a massive amount of our energy, right? But your brain's, hey, we got to mobilize energy, so we got to save it. So what does it do? It shuts down your digestive system. So when it shuts it down, right? Anytime it shuts it down, it flushes it out, which is the feeling of having to go pee, poop, or puke. Oh, and then man. once it flushes it out, guess what? There's a change in acid reduction inside of our stomach. That's a sensation of butterflies. When you get cotton mouth, mm. it turns off your salivary glands because you no longer need saliva because your digestive system is shut down because you're not going to need food or swallow food. So your mouth gets really dry because oh. you no longer need your salivary glands. If your hands get really shaky before you're going to do something, your brain right? Like your neurons fire back and forth to send messages down your spine for you to do things like whether it's a raise your hand or whatever it might be. So when your brain's like, Hey, we gotta, we gotta go faster. It'll send the neurons faster back and forth and shoot them down your spine. But you're like, your body can't keep up. So they go so fast that it makes you shake. Like you sweat because oh your body is trying goodness. to cool you down because like things are going way too fast. And it's just a way to cool you down. All of those things, all of them, they all happen with prime reason for you to kick butt. Literally, your brain is setting off a chain reaction for you to perform at your best. So now when you feel the butterflies, you're just like, oh, hello, old friend. Great. Body's getting me ready to go. Right? <laughs> like, sweet. Hands are shaking. Hey, 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 my body's just going a little too fast right now. Hello. All right, here we go. It's such a change in interpretation. Why? Because we finally understand. That's why. Man, I feel like I need to go do something just to get jacked up now, <laughs> just because I want to experience what you just said. That's so awesome. I feel that's so empowering too, because there was a lot of stuff you said. I've heard different people coach on in terms of mental performance on how to approach the butterflies. And some people will say, be excited. They've done studies that you know, if you can see his excitement instead of nerves. But I love your approach. It's like you're backing up a step further and says, no, look, your body's just getting you ready to go. Like this is it shutting down everything so you can focus more so that you can run faster or you can speak louder or you can, whatever it is that you're doing, your body's just getting you ready. I love that. Man, that is so good. Oh, that is so good. 
So you were in, so we got to the place where you were in graduate school. You got to see some counseling activism athletes. What happened? What led to the next step? Yeah, I think we, I got to understand the counseling world. Took a lot of experiences from graduate school that like I had an athletic, I had an adventure therapy class that I took actually, which is combining outdoor learning, like an outdoor challenge course and how that's integrated into both counseling and mental performance. And my professor, just a shout out, Angela Veach, she was like absolutely instrumental in how I view interactions with people, how you view like a debrief or how you reflect on things, how you systematically program things. So she really helped organize, I think, some of my thoughts in how we do those things. And yeah, after grad school, I applied to a couple of jobs, ended up getting an awesome opportunity with the military, packed up my whole life. I was living in Connecticut, lived there my whole life. And Packed up my car with my dad and we drove to El Paso, Texas. And uh, I started my big boy job. First time ever being away from the East Coast. First time ever just like being in a place where I didn't know anybody. Probably went through all the emotions of anyone that's ever gone through that. The feelings of all those things of like questioning, did I make the right choice? Is this worth all those (laughs) things? And so I I was out there for in El Paso for about two years and then got a chance to go a little closer to home. We got my, my fiance at the time, but now my wife, we moved to upstate New York up to Fort Drum where got a chance to spend some time there as well before getting the opportunity with Cleveland. And uh, yeah, I've been in baseball ever since and like a soccer guy. So never really thought baseball was going to be the space, but I always, <laughs> I always like to use it to my advantage. I always tell the guys, I'm like, Hey man, not a baseball guy. So if you got questions on the world cup, I'm your boy, <laughs> but not a baseball guy. So let's just, we'll focus on the brain, not on your mechanics. I promise. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's it. We all know our space. Right? We do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really good. That's a great story. And so you spent a lot of time working with the army yeah. then in El Paso and then jumped over to pro sports. Mm -hmm. There's just so many things that you've said that I think will resonate with the listeners as they approach the mental game in their work, but also as leaders at work, it is tough to balance home life as well, because you obviously have an added layer of complexity. I would love to know how does, how do you balance that? How do you combine your passion for high performance with your commitment to your family because you've got kids and a wife. How do you balance those two or what are tools that you've used to see that work for you? Still a work in progress. I think I'll just openly say that <laughs> if my wife's listening, she'd probably say the same thing. But I can say this, that I say I'm a work in progress because I definitely didn't do it very well at first. I think like anybody, you get a job and you want to be the best and I got to put time in. I have to put effort in. I think there were moments where I definitely like neglected probably the home life a little bit. I think kids can sometimes snap you out of that a little bit, but I really try to be present when I'm at home. It's it's not the easiest thing with the watches and the phones and the computers, but I typically will leave my computer in my backpack and not take it out. I've gotten a little bit better about just like leaving my phone inside or doing whatever. Sometimes even just like going, it's dangerous to go on a trip like to Costco or something without your phone in the event that you have questions and you got to reach back to your significant <laughs> other. But I, or just leaving in the car. I think that you can tangibly do things to disconnect. And I believe that is a, it's a choice, right? I have a choice to leave my computer in the backpack. I have a choice to leave my phone inside when we go outside for a walk as a family or go outside in the back and play. I do believe that I, we do get the occasional day off. And I think like for those times, like trying to make time for not just your kids, but for your significant other as well. My wife and I try to go out on date nights and be diligent about that. 
I do have the off season. The off season is is pretty off for me. The occasional Zoom call oh. here or there, but it's pretty off. And I try to take my daughter to school every day. I try to pick her up. I try to do stuff with my son. I try to give my wife a little bit of downtime and freedom to go do all the things that she's wanted to do for the past eight months that she hasn't been able to. Yeah. So yeah. we try to be thoughtful about that. You know, I think it is, again, it's a choice. Like you make an active choice. And the more that you lean into that choice, the better opportunity you have to be successful. I'll just also say like the communication part is real. If it's not working, parts of it are not working, you have to communicate. But, you know, that the rejuvenation part is also like you have to do things that help you rejuvenate. And I think that was actually really hard for me to understand because I felt maybe some like shame and guilt from being away for so much that it's like you come right back off the road or whatever, or you don't sleep and you just come home and you're like, I have to do all the stuff at the house and I have to I have mm. to be with the kids and support. And my wife's been a champion of actually telling me, it, which is like so hard to comprehend, right? I was just away for 10 days telling me to take a breather or to do something for myself. And again, that just mm. shows the type of woman that she is. But uh. you have to be able to do that too, because you're not a good dad or husband or father or whatever if you're just burning out. Like, or you're snappy mm -hmm. or you're distracted. And I just, I think that perspective has been really helpful, but it's always a work in progress. I think, I think burnout is, you've hit on that at the end there. I think that is an epidemic in our culture these days. I just think that they're going so hard, but then, then they're so connected as well. So even when they're not at work, they're still, like you said, they're connected and so we just see, I've had so many people reach out to us to want to talk through and talk about and talk out and have bring in and talk to their teams about burnout. And I love how you say the importance of rejuvenation. I was talking to a PGA coach and he said, it's not stress that will get you in trouble and get you burnout is stress without recovery. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. And it goes right back to what you're saying about rejuvenation. You said that's it's a, or it has been a struggle because you feel, would feel guilt and shame. How's that process, and how do you think someone should go about rejuvenating? Do you have any do you have any thoughts on that as a performance coach? If I was coming to you and I'm saying I am burnt out, mm -hmm. B Miles, what you got for me? I'm burnt out. <laughs> what 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 are you gonna? How are you gonna work with me on that? No different than our players. I see. So I think first and foremost, like sleep is the most powerful thing for high performance and for rejuvenation. So like if you're if you're not investing in your sleep then that's probably like issue number 1 because sleep is the only way to cognitively recover. It's the truth. Like it is mm -hmm. the only way to cognitively recover. And so if you're not valuing your sleep and I recognize there's sometimes circumstances that make it a little bit tricky but like sleep is the way to rejuvenation first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Secondly, I think people believe that rejuvenation is I have to take a week off in the Bahamas. I have to have a full day <laughs> off at home. I have to do, but that's not what it is. Like rejuvenation is about pit stops, right? Have you, I don't know, like I'm super into the Formula One shows now on Netflix, like Drive to Survive and like all these things or whatever yeah. it might be. And if you watch these incredible cars go, right? This is what's fascinating to me. So you watch, everyone's watching these cars go and they're like, oh my God, look how fast it goes and look how quick it can turn and blah, blah, blah. I'm watching the show and I'm going, what's wrong with me? I'm like, I'm fascinated by the braking system. Look at the braking system. Look at how mm. it slows down. Look, and it's like, mm. our, we need to invest in our braking system, right? Like we need to invest in like mm. how we slow down. It's not about stopping fully. It's about mm. the ability to slow down. And keeping with the Formula One theme, it's like they have planned pit stops. 
and they know when the car needs just a little bit of help and it's a pit stop. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. And so I think for the individuals out there that maybe are struggling with burnout or on kind of the tip of burnout, it might be because they're not being deliberate about having pit stops throughout the day. So it's like you mm. can like you you can push the burnout away, not, not push it away. It's such a bad framing of it, but it's it's more about like combating it by having daily pit stops for yourself. Mm. And again, that's not about taking an hour and a half, two hours for lunch and doing going golfing or it's. It could just be like when you say you're going to take a 10 minute coffee break, it means like leaving the building, leaving your phone, leaving everything and walking to go get coffee. It might mean yeah. that it might be for you like being on a FaceTime with your kids because mm. you're on a trip and not being distracted. Yeah. It might be about for other people, it might be go, going and playing around a golf. It might be finding a CrossFit gym in the city that you're in and going and getting a workout in. But it's something mm-hmm. that is meaningful to you. And again, it's different for everybody, but this idea that it has to be a week-long vacation, this idea that it has to be a full day of doing nothing, it's doing something physical, doing something can be that thing that helps you with the burnout. It's about being deliberate with the pit stop. That's the most important part. Mm-hmm. Be deliberate with it. Be deliberate. Oh, that's really good stuff. That's really good stuff. Oh, that's good. I hope everybody's taking notes. I hope you just pull the car over. If you're driving to the office, you just pull over and write that down because that is really good. Actually, we'll put it in the show notes so you can keep driving, but you need to read that because that's really good stuff. All right. You've talked about, I want to talk through some things because you are a master at the mental game and you're helping people and coaching and developing them And I think that's such a unique skill set because you're sharing everything with some of the best professionals in the world and some of the highest performing teams in the world. So I know the listeners are just really excited to hear how they can apply some of these lessons to their own lives. When you learn, though, and when you improve, you made a comment before the show that the way you do that is to do hard things. You like to do hard things. So can you explain how you learn and improve by doing on hard things? And what did you mean by that? I just, yeah, I just feel like the route to results is through doing hard things. There's just, there's no different way around it. And I think that the sooner that you embrace discomfort, the sooner the process to change can begin. And mm. the problem is that there, there, anytime you're going to do something hard, 
there's a natural tension that comes along with it. And there's a million different thoughts that come across. Our ego pops up and it's just, hey, don't do this. You have a chance to fail. Hey, don't do this. You might look bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. slow down. This is going to take time. Are you sure? That always happens to us. And it's, I think once you just absolutely get fixated on the fact that those thoughts come and every single time when you go and do the thing that they tell you not to do, they just, those thoughts come less and they mean less and less. And mm. that's the problem is that it, things get hard and people just stop. That's it's the truth, right? I can give you just yeah. even the perfect, it's like, I'll even like, I told you, I'll go for a walk. I'll just try to get 15,000 steps. Sometimes when I'm not going doing the coffee thing, I'll go out onto our field when we get there. I'll put my headphones in. Like I'll make a bunch of phone calls and I'll just be walking around the field, right? I'll take a peek at my watch. Mm, that's good. And it's, ah, I did 8,000 steps today. All right, like literally your brain, I'm like, I did eight. I'm like, you're fine. Dude, you did 8,000. It's fine. You're good. You're good. You did eight. That's right. pretty good. Or you're going to get on the treadmill. I'm going to go for 30 minute run. You did 20 minutes. It's better than most people. You did two, like. You, you literally will negotiate with yourself. You will literally <laughs> negotiate with yourself out of doing what you said you were going to do. And oh, like, man. I just, again, though, like the highest of high performers refused to negotiate with themselves. They refused to. Mm. I will not negotiate with myself. I will do what I said I was going to do. And it's like, when you make the commitment to doing that, it's absolutely incredible. And it just, it, and I think it's, again, I hate, it's like, I, I think I've learned this. I've gotten older and it's real. It's like, I, things that bothered me before just don't bother me anymore. It's like, there is this wild sense of freedom that you experience when you start to see the world in a way of, can I touch, manage, influence, or control it? If I can't, then you don't get my precious energy and attention. Because I believe that our most precious resources and commodities are our attention and our energy. And it's like, people need to start being more selfish with their energy and with their attention. And mm. when you are, and you start to think in the way of, can I touch, manage, influence, or control it? If I can, cool. You can have my energy. You can have my, my, my attention. If I can't, then it's like, you don't get that precious resource of mine. And that doesn't just go for things. That goes for people too. Okay. There are a lot mm. of people that don't deserve your energy or your attention. And I think that the more that we start to see that, you can start to save that energy and attention for people that matter, right? And I think people need to start, you don't have to apologize for outgrowing and outworking people in your life. I think that's absolutely important. And like the circle that you keep will either lift you up or it'll pull you down. And the more diligent you are about that, the better opportunity you have to surround yourself with people who are gonna push you for your high performance goals. You wanna get better at doing hard things, hang out with people that do hard things. That's how you want that. If that's how you want to get better at it, that's a great way to do it. Surround yourself with the non-negotiators. Yeah. Yeah. So, the non-negotiator, yeah. the not that they will always commit. They will. And they will. It. And yeah. guess what? You will too, because you're surrounded by those yeah. people. If you surround yourself with mm -hmm. people who are just like, Hey, you did a pretty good job. Don't worry. Don't do that last 10%. It's literally the name of your podcast. Mm -hmm. Don't do the last 10%. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like, that's exactly it's, right. it's literally, you did 20 minutes. You're good. No, you're not. Do the last 10%. Like you said in the intro, 10%. that's the hardest part. Do it. That's the hardest part. That's awesome. That's so true. And I think the way you framed that about negotiating with yourself and how you can negotiate what you know is the what you know you need to do or the hard thing that would be the best thing when it gets tough. If you come into that, and it's, what's wild is this: we we have this coaching system called the one on one. 
coaching system that's through this app. And so what we see is every month people make commitments. Every single month, they're going to make, what are you going to do the next 30 days to get 1% better? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You going to do? And it's a, small, it's a small commitment. It could be watching a YouTube video to learn how to run Microsoft Teams. It doesn't have to be this like, because it's only 30 days. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 30 days. But what's interesting is you can see there are people that are committed to improving. And you know the ones that are because they are rock stars mm-hmm. at making that consistently. If they say it and they're going to speak it out loud, I'm going to work out three times. It's like you just like, it'd be a shock if they didn't get it. But then there's so many people that are engaging in the process and they are making and keeping commitments sometimes, but their commitments might be a little fluffy or they might not be as specific and measurable as we'd want, or they're just really, they really have a hard time keeping the commitment and the commitment is the one they made to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're saying is that if you make a commitment to yourself, be intentional and deliberate about not negotiating it, but keeping the commitment to yourself. And I think that's. Well, the the thing is, too, is it's not just about saying it, but you like set and cultivate the environment to help you with that, too. Right. That's. Mm. it's simple things that you can go up. So if you're going to go for a run in the morning, just lay your running clothes out and put your shoes right by your bed. Like it's, or or put the reminders in your phone or it's even like the sleeping thing. It's like cult, like don't, don't have screens in your room. Don't have a TV in your room. Blackout. It's like the more that you cultivate the environment for you to, uh, you can do a lot of things leading up to it to help make the negotiation a little bit easier. Let's just say that. And so <laughs> I think that's the problem is that people are unwilling to do the extra things as well to set that environment up for them to go about and do it. That's a fantastic point because if the environment is going to have a, a large impact on actually, if you're, if you have to, if going for a run in the morning means, oh, I've got to get up and I got to decide what I'm going to wear and I'm going to go find my shoes and I'm going to dry my clothes, whatever, then that's a, so much more on top of that commitment. Whereas if it's, oh, I just step out of bed, put on these clothes, walk out of the door, that's, you're setting yourself up for success. I love that. Yeah. More intentionality. Absolutely. More intentionality. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about this. I I did see that you're a fan of stoicism and Mr. Ryan Holiday. I've enjoyed, enjoyed reading the, the, the stoic philosophy as well. So what's been one of the most meaningful things for you that the, I guess, a mindset shift or perspective that you feel like has been positive in your life that you would attribute to that philosophy? I mean, I think that he talks a lot about the obstacle is the way he talks a lot about ego his book ego is the enemy and i just i again i feel like those concepts while the simplicity is just so real it it really plays out just in our day-to-day life like i I mentioned about your ego and that conversation that we have with ourselves all the time about trying to avoid doing difficult things because of how it's going to make you look and caring so much about how it's going to make you look and caring about what other people think Again, I'm not trying to do the whole like as I've gotten older thing, but I've just I've realized that when you're so worried about what other people think about you, you never take the time to realize that other people are not thinking about you. They're too busy thinking about themselves. (laughs) And it's just I think I honestly believe that once you accept that, when you genuinely accept the fact that everyone's so invested in themselves or not, it's like you you put yourself out there, right? Like you're okay putting some yeah. stuff out on social media and getting one like on it or no likes on it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't matter. matter. It does not matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter, matter what they think or like 
the again it's it's backed on preparation but you go and you can get, you can give your talk you can give your speech and it's okay to look at that one person and they're not nodding along or they're not smiling or they're not laughing at your jokes or whatever it is it's like previously it'd be like oh my gosh like what's what's wrong what are you saying what are you doing but you just you're okay with it i feel like once you remove that ego and you recognize that it's there and you have this acceptance part to it man there's a wild sense of authenticity and purpose that comes out and Mm. Not just like the work that you do, but just mm. the time that you spend with people. Like it's so freeing to just be able to be yourself because it is exhausting to try to be somebody that you're not day in and day mm. out. Yeah, like that's a bit of yes. what his stoicism work has taught me. Mm, I, I love that. And like you said, there's a freedom that comes from being your authentic self and not feeling this burden to impress other people or this fear that they're going to judge you, whether they do or not, exactly. whether they do or not. And just a real centered, there's a centeredness to that, you know, and I think that makes for a very strong person, mm-hmm. right? That just makes you stronger and it makes you more relatable because then people are spending time with you and your authentic self and they're refreshed. I think that makes, I think that makes others very refreshed. Well, all right, let's talk about this because you, we always ask guests, this has been the best, by the way. I just, I've really enjoyed, this can't be the last time <laughs> that we sit down and have, because like. I have two more pages of questions (laughs) that I've thought about. We didn't even, we didn't even scratch the surface. We didn't even get close, but I want to respect your time because you are on the road. You're a super busy individual. So we're going to try to close this thing out, but I would have a couple questions for you as we close. Number one, who is someone that you would like to see or hear on, become on the show in the last 10%? I, I'm not one just to call out my friends, but I think I probably will call out one of my friends. But I, so I, when I worked in El Paso, I, I worked with this like un- unbelievable woman. Her name is Lindsay Roberts. And so she ended up taking a position at Fort Riley to be closer to home up in the Kansas area, Kansas City area. But now she's transitioned over to working for a Fortune 500 company in Evergy. And she mm-hmm. has transitioned so much into, understanding the corporate structure and how high performance facilitates its work into there. And so mm. I got to give a shout out to, to to Lindsay. She's just absolutely incredible. Her knowledge base on high performance is unbelievable. But like I always, whenever we go and play the Kansas City Royals, her and I will always go grab our coffee and just like hearing the way that she transcends these skills into that corporate structure has just been fascinating for me to learn about just because I'm in the sports world. Wow. Anyway, Lindsay yeah. Roberts, rock star, would have to absolutely okay. recommend her. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to have to go after Lindsay Roberts, see if she'll <laughs> jump on the last 10%. That's exciting. All right. So now here's a question for you. You said in the beginning of the show, when you were talking about your days, early days in soccer, that it was the mental game that you felt like it was, a, it was a tough mm-hmm. because you were very influenced, ride the highs, ride the lows kind of thing. If you were going to go back and coach yourself today, what would you tell your 20-year-old self in the soccer field? How would you, how would you coach yourself mentally? Man, I think I would, I, so I'd probably tell my, well, one, I'd probably tell myself to enjoy it a lot more than I did. It was probably a little more stressful than that, but <laughs> I reckon, so like, I recognize that like, it was always around failure, right? Like failure was the part for me that I struggled with the most. And I feel like I would have to reiterate to myself that failure is a chance to learn. If I so choose, I would have to tell myself that failure teaches you humility. I'd have to say that failure brings you face to face with your ego Failure and obstacles mm. are the way towards success and that just flat out failure shows you your true potential. 
And I think reminding Mm. myself of that in that moment, not that, oh my God, failure means you might not start the next game. It's not that. It's a chance to learn if I choose. It's a chance to be humble. It's a chance to come face to face with my ego or just to overcome the obstacles. But in reality, it's like failure is going to be the thing that will eventually get me my true potential. The obstacle is the way, right? The obstacle is the way. way. (laughs) That's awesome. I think that's fantastic. It's great advice to your 20-year-old self. And it's also great advice for any leader or coach, any entrepreneur, anybody out there that's struggling, because I think that's a, I think the fear of failure is definitely pervasive Mm -hmm. and in the human condition. And so I think your words of wisdom, you've given us so much to think about today. Number one, set the routine, go get the coffee, but get your 10,000 steps (laughs) in. So give yourself a reward first thing in the morning. I love how you talked about how you talked about your day as it relates to burnout. You need to be thinking not on a, I'm going to take a vacation once a year. Let's not combat burnout by going off for a week because we're just going to come back to the Mm -hmm. same burnout situation we left. Let's structure our day so that we don't get ourselves in that position. In the long term, we're going to, we're going to work on the everyday kind of thing. I love the brain body connection. Mm. I love how you talked about that and you completely reframed getting nervous (laughs) for everybody. Like that just, that was really good. Obviously, you're gifted to do what you do. And I'm so thankful that. that you're doing what you're doing, where you're doing it, with who you're doing it with. We're going to be big fans now, the last 10% <laughs> of the Cleveland Guardians. We're going to keep up with you. And next time I see him on TV, I'm going to be looking at the dugout. I'm going to say, I'm going to find him. Hey, I'll fans. be that bald guy. Don't worry. I'll be the bald guy without a hat on. You can pick, you can pick me out, all right? No problem. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So last thing, where can people get in touch? If, you, if they wanted to find you, you've got some other content out there. And we'll put these in the show notes. Where can people find you if they want to find more info about Brian Miles? I am on most social media. So you can find me on Twitter at Brian C. Miles. I believe that is my Instagram handle as well. I'm on threads also, LinkedIn. And a couple, almost, I think it's almost two years ago, um, myself and two of my best friends in the mental performance space, Justin Sua, who is the head of mental performance with the Tampa Bay Rays, and my friend Lauren Johnson, who used to be with the Yankees and She's now doing absolutely incredible things in the private sector. We, we got a little crazy, a little bored one day, and we we're like, we should make a YouTube show. And if you go on YouTube and check out The Mindset Show, you'll see a 10-part series of us doing this almost, just riffing on high-performance, mental-performance topics, just having a blast of three people in that space talking about all things mental performance and high-performance. So that's The Mindset Show on YouTube, but... Yeah, I'm happy to chat with anybody and facilitate some conversations for sure. Uh, that's awesome. Okay, well, we're going to be following you on Twitter, and I'm definitely going to check out this YouTube show again. That's just, this is, it sounds like it's right up our alley, so this is great. Brian, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with our listeners, and we look forward to having you on again sometime because this has been really fun. Thanks, Alice. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. 
Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.